0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. If you're in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to the children's church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign.
1: Thanks, Betsy. Good morning. If this is your first time, we don't normally have a 10 to 15 minute financial presentation in the middle of every service. So please do come back uh, and give us, give us a second chance um, if that puts you to sleep. We're starting a new sermon series this week in the book of Mark. The book of Mark is such a powerful story for several reasons, but one of the reasons is because it's the upside-down kingdom. If you want to be great in Mark, you have to serve. If you want to live, you have to die. And so it's this powerful uh, picture of what the gospel is. Mark is also special because it's called Peter's gospel, meaning uh, Peter and Mark were close, and It's actually John Mark who wrote this. Peter and John Mark were close, and so it's a very intimate uh, telling of Peter's story of watching Jesus. And so uh, you, you may know Peter from the New Testament as the one who's always messing up and saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Well, part of why you know that is because Peter himself showed you that. He let his biographer tell the real dirt on how he was acting and so it's this really intimate portrayal of peter's failures in reference to jesus Um, so it's the upside down kingdom it's peter's gospel and there's an element in which you could keep this at bay you could say i either believe in jesus who's going to be just talked about in mark or you're here and you're like i'm glad you guys exist i just don't believe this stuff and it could be kind of kept at arm's length. And what I want you to do is I want you to really listen to Mark. You don't have to agree with him. But really listen to Mark because he has an incredible way of pushing the question, who is Jesus for you? It's a question whether you've been asked a hundred times or this is your first time. It's a question that should engage your heart. Who is Jesus to you? Now let's pray and ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning. Lord, would You have mercy on me, a sinner. I thank You and I praise You for Your Word, and I ask that You would be powerfully at work this morning. Um, these words will just run off, the back, run off our backs and in one ear and out the other unless Your Holy Spirit moves. So I ask, God, that we would be caught up. That God Himself would move among us in this room. That He would bring hope to those who are weary and discouraged. That He would bring help to those who are feeling lonely. That He would bring us all grace as we stare at the magnitude of our sin, even this weekend. We're here because we want to be changed and we'd ask that You'd change us. We trust ourselves to You. Look at what You've done. And we can trust ourselves to You again this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It's been quite a morning here at Restoration Southside. My printer at home wouldn't work. I came here. Our printer here wouldn't work. Um, Not only that, I forgot the pledge cards in a different part of the building, and we had to run and go get those. And to top it all off, as I was coming down the stairs to come here to work, to worship this morning with you, Uh, as I'm walking down the stairs, I hear Aaron's voice, and she is preparing to discipline the twins. Now, for those of you, this is your first time, I have hundreds of children. Uh, The last two's names are Connor and Cohen, and they're identical twins. And as I'm kind of getting my head right, you know, go in, want to do a good job, get my head right, I hear Aaron say the following words. Cohen, you will be spanked because you're not allowed to pee on anyone, and we've talked about that. (laughs) Connor, you're getting spanked, because as we have told you, you may not drink chocolate milk from wine glasses. (laughs) It's just a regular day in my house. You're getting spanked, because you've been told not to pee on anyone, and you're getting spanked, because as we've told you before, you're not allowed to drink chocolate milk from wine glasses. When you hear something that specific, you know that there was a context going on for which that particularly applied. That's how Mark starts. Mark starts with something so specific that we could just run past it and think, oh, yeah, the beginning, yeah, yeah, these are his first words, this is like his introduction. But he is telling you the whole story in these few words. He jumps right in. He says, Listen to the story. Listen to what all of the next chapters are going to be about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We read that like it's like a header. And he is wrapping up the whole story right here. So specific with his words. The beginning. John Mark wants you to hear the beginning. He wants you to think about the last time that you had heard that in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, what he is saying here is, you know that old story from how all of this began I am starting right here, and this is the most important part about it. The global story starts right here locally, in the beginning. And then he says this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know you and I hear gospel, and we think Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We hear gospel in a way that it doesn't shock us, it doesn't startle us at all. But it's actually, when they were writing this, it was actually an entirely new form of literature. What, what I mean by that is this, is it didn't exist prior to this, and the Christians didn't even start it. Rome. listen to this. It says, "The Gospel: the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. You see, Caesar Augustus had tried to take over the whole world and as he had expanded his kingdom, there was an announcement that went out. The the good news that Caesar Augustus had taken over the known world and the good news was proclaimed. The good news. Caesar Caesar Augustus is a king over all the world. It It was as if he was saying, this is the story of how I became king over everything. And Mark kind of hijacks that that use of the word. And he says, actually, this is the gospel of how the real king takes over the world. But before we dive into each and every aspect of that, I want you to understand this part. When Caesar Augustus was using it, it was the beginning of the narrative of how he had captured everything. And so what we need to take away from that is when John Mark says the beginning of the gospel of how Jesus took over everything, it means that this story is about Jesus and what He does, this story is not about you. Not ultimately. And the reason that I make such a big point of that is because we listen as as people who are kind of deciding what you think or what you don't think about Jesus and you think religious people, particularly Christians, the name of the game, the point of the story is, is what are you doing? How are you going to improve? What will you do next? And John Mark says to us, friends, this story is not about what you're doing or how you're going to turn things around or what you're going to do next. This story is about Him who has done it already. So if you're new to Christ, you're new to the church, and you're tempted to think, yeah, I know, Christians are about doing good. Not ultimately. Christians are ultimately about basking in the story that is already completed in Christ. And for those of you who do trust in Christ, the primary question you ask yourself is, am I doing enough? Am I repenting enough? Am I sorry enough? Am I trying enough? Am I reading enough? Am I praying enough? As if you're waiting to see the end of the story. And John Mark says, Friends, the story is already over as far as God's posture towards you. And He loves you. And you're safe and it is finished. That's why we bask in the fact that it's not almost there yet. It's that in fact, the story has already been told. Do you see... He purposefully chooses these words in the beginning. What was once old is now going to become brand new, recreation. The gospel, the announcement of an already done victory of Jesus Christ. Jesus means save His people from their sins. So it's going to tell you the beginning of this global story. It's going to make it local. It's going to be this proclamation of what's already been done. Not what still needs to be done. What already has been done. And it's about a guy who would save his people from their sins. Not only that, he calls him Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. If you've been around the Bible long enough, you know that Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's actually a royal title. It's sort of like King. King Jesus. It's not his last name. And so he's pulling on all of this literature from the old testament and explaining who jesus is he's saying jesus is the savior of sinners jesus is christ it means the coming king when adam couldn't do what he was supposed to do and king david couldn't do what he was supposed to do but there would be one in his line who would come after him who would be the king that we all needed that's what it's saying is the son of david the king the promised one This one was supposed to deliver Israel from all of its troublers and oppressors. And then he says, the Son of God. He's taking this term, which means king, and he's sort of beginning to associate divinity with Jesus. And going even further, he says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You see, he says, the coming king, the promised one, the one who is like divine, and then steps further and says, Yahweh himself is coming. Yahweh in skin. No longer a representative of God like Adam or Abraham or Jacob or David, or Solomon, that God himself was coming to be the full and final word about how God cares about his people, about how God is a God of compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he says, they keep missing the message with each of the messengers, and so I'm going to send him myself. In other words, you could think God is far away, and if God is around, if God does exist, he stopped caring about us a long time ago. And that is the opposite of the message of Mark. Mark says, I've sent so many messengers. And because we weren't getting the message, and because none of the messengers were enough, I will come myself and be your king. Whatever you say about Bible, whatever you say about Jesus, you cannot say he's disinterested. You can say you don't like his style, his quotes, his dress. You don't like the people he surrounds himself, but you cannot say he's disinterested. John Mark is saying to you, this one keeps coming closer and closer and closer. That this one has good news that's been announced about his victory, that he's the Savior of sinners, that he's the promised one, that he's God himself. But I want, to, want you to see this. What we're going to find in Mark is that everybody's disappointed with who Jesus is. The disciples want him to take up weapons and tear down Rome. The Jewish elite wanted him to be this military ruler who could reinstate the Old Testament kingdom of God. The Romans wanted him to just be quiet and teach as an itinerant preacher and stay out of everybody's way. And the reason that I tell you that is that you think when we think Jesus we think oh that's the person that's the king whether you believe it or not that's the that's the son of God whether you believe it or not but what I want to show you here is from Mark is is true today is that everybody's disappointed with who Jesus is. See we want Jesus to fix all of our financial woes when we ask Him to. We want Jesus to heal our friends and family who are sick when we ask them to. We want Jesus to take away our problems when we ask Him to. when we're struggling with sin and we beg that God would move and take it away, we want him to do that then, right then and there. And one of the themes of Mark is Jesus is not who you expect him to be. Jesus is not get himself on your agenda, Jews or Romans or Christians that he comes to bring a new kind of kingdom. So I want you to be honest about the fact, if you're following Jesus, that he's not been who you've expected him to be. But maybe, just maybe, there's more. Maybe your expectations weren't right. So how do we get ready? For this kind of king the savior of sinners the promised one the one who comes and he's not what anyone expects him to be we repent mark says this in 4-6 through john appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of judea and all jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river confessing their sins it's this picture where people were living in cities but they all go out into the wilderness Some commentators think up to 300,000 people at different times go out into the wilderness to hear John preach about baptism and forgiveness of sins and repentance. And it's supposed to remind us of Elijah. Elijah used to dress like this, Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, he used to eat like this. He used to talk about repentance. Elijah would say, we're not following God as we're supposed to, and so we need to repent. And John the Baptist is saying, we're not following God at all if we're not ready for Jesus. And here's what's so startling about saying repentance and forgiveness and baptism. What's so startling about it is that Jews never had to be baptized up until this point. Jews were circumcised. And because Jews had done the ceremonial washings and the cleansings and the cleanings and all of the rituals, they didn't need to be baptized. When somebody who was outside of Israel came in, they needed to be baptized because they they were filthy because of sin. And when John looks at them, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he says, all of you need to be baptized. All of you need to be clean. That ritual cannot save you. But ultimately, you need to be cleaned by the Holy Spirit. The water is what points you to that. But he's saying, whether you like it or not, there are rules. There are rules. And the rule for this one is everyone has to repent and everyone has to be baptized into a forgiveness of sins. And that's true whether you like it or not. The reason this is so hard for us is because we, more than any other group of people in the history of the world, hate authority. We hate authority, it is like allergic to us. If somebody even reminds you that they're your boss, you're like, well, oh, kinda, I guess. We hate authority. And so we hate being told there is more, there is only one way to do things. I even, this has happened to me. When Erin and I went on our second anniversary, we went to Cancun. And to Cancun, we went to this all-inclusive place. And she was doing all the research ahead of time and had everything laid out. And she said, when you go to these restaurants, there's like four or five there. It's all-inclusive, so you get whatever you want. But she said, there's one restaurant, it's four stars, and uh, it's French cuisine. And the one thing that they ask is that you have to wear dress shoes in order to come she's like so you're gonna put your dress shoes in the suitcase right and I'm like yeah and she's like well your dress shoes are still right here and they're not in your suitcase and I'm like we're going to Mexico we're gonna lay on the beach I'm not bringing dress shoes in my suitcase and she's like would you just please could you just do this for me they're right here just put them right here and I'm like we're not gonna need them no one is gonna enforce this policy so we go down there and we have a blast. And we save the French cuisine for the last night. And we go, we get dressed up, and I put on my flip-flops. And we walk up to the Major d's counter and nobody's there. So I'm like, perfect. So I walk in, quickly walk to our table, sit down, and stuff my feet under the tablecloth. And I'm like, whoo. And then all of a sudden, I feel this person standing right next to me. And I refuse eye contact for a moment. I hear, excuse me, sir. Um, For our French cuisine, we ask that everybody wear dress shoes, so if you would go to your room and get your dress shoes, then you could come back and eat. My dress shoes were back in St. Louis. And so I stand up from the table, which would have been free fine dining, and I walk out, and we have to go somewhere else. And as I'm walking out, I can actually feel Aaron's eyes burning a hole into the back of my head. I didn't like the rule. I didn't respect the rule. I didn't honor the rule. And so I couldn't eat free food. And that's to each one of us. who say, I don't like this about Jesus. I don't like what he says about sex. I don't like what he says about money. I don't like what he says about being exclusive. I don't like it. And friends, what I'm telling you is the question isn't whether or not you like it. The question is under whose authority are you? There's a fine dining meal waiting for you, but you don't get to set the terms. I don't get to set the terms. You want the free meal, you listen to the one who sets the terms. That's what he's saying here, is is that ultimately... If you want Jesus, you have to live a life of repentance, baptism, and the forgiveness of sins. And I want to tell you, repentance isn't just this thing where you go, oh, think of the two or three bad things that you do, and you need to try your whole life to not do those things. That's what we think of repentance is. Do the, think of the usuals, lust, you know, pride, envy, gossip. Living a life of repentance is, is fighting those things as best as we can. And that's part of why we live in shame all the time is because we think there's only two or three things wrong with us and we can't seem to eradicate them. What he's saying is that even your good habits aren't good. You don't need a little bit of repentance. Your whole life has to be repentance. He's saying turn to Christ. We use repentance to turn to ourself and to more effort and to more resolve. And he's saying turn to Christ. As Ben said, when something's broken, you need somebody who knows how to fix it And he's saying, turn to Christ over and over again. He's saying, Christ is the one who can do it. He points out that there's this baptism, this forgiveness, this repentance. And then he shows us that there's restoration. Look in verse 7 and 8. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, you want to turn. You're broken. You want to get fixed. You turn to Christ. And how will you know that you've turned to Christ? It's not that you get better It's to get more humbled and more dependent. John, who Jesus says is the greatest man born of woman. John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals so that I can wash his feet. Now, slaves in the Jewish culture weren't even allowed to do that because it was so disgusting. And John's saying, I can't even aspire to that. John, as glorious as his ministry is, is looking for something more. And I want to show you this and we'll begin wrapping up. But part of what is so cool about this opening is that it it is just absolutely chock full of failures. John the Baptist, who Jesus will later say is the greatest one born of woman, He's come and He's prepared the way and He's baptized all these people and then later on, He gets thrown into jail. When He's thrown into jail, He sends His people to go ask Jesus what's going on. In other words, He's thinking, Jesus, I came to prepare prepare the way for You, for You to be the King of all creation and now here I am rotting in a jail cell and You're out there wandering around. You're not who I expected You to be. And Jesus says this, Go back and report to John what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So John the Baptist, the one who's supposed to lead the way to getting it right, fails and doubts. Isn't it okay if you fail and doubt too? And how about John Mark? We call him Mark, but it's actually John Mark. There's a verse in 1451 where, basically, Mark 1451, where everyone is fleeing away from Jesus because they're all about to get caught. Jesus is about to be crucified. They come to him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they start to arrest Jesus, and all of his disciples flee. In fact, in Martin, Mark 1451, it says there was a young man there who only had on a linen tunic which basically means he was in bed and he heard about this was going on with Jesus. And so he threw on a, an over tunic and he runs out and he's with Jesus's people. And then when they start to arrest, they grab onto his tunic and he runs off and the tunic rips and he runs naked into the night. It's the Bible's first streaker. <laughs> and they say, it's John Mark. John Mark. The church fathers were unanimous in believing it was John Mark. The guy who's writing you the victory story is the same guy who in the second to last chapter flees from Jesus. Later, he'll even abandon the mission in Acts. John the Baptist loses faith. John Mark streaks and abandons the mission. What the Bible is trying to convince you of is that Jesus did not come for good people. He came for sick people. He says it's not the healthy that need the doctor, but the sick. So if you're sitting there thinking, I'm going to follow Jesus because good people follow Jesus, you're incorrect. It's for people who streak into the night out of fear. Instead of standing up for Jesus, it's for people who lose faith when they, of all people, should have believed. Repenting doesn't mean living a perfect life. It means turning your countenance to Jesus and saying, I don't know if I'll believe everything you say, and I certainly know I won't be able to keep up with all of it, but I'm following you. That's what Mark is saying. We'll close here. Many people believe the Emancipation Proclamation was one of the greatest things ever put into ink, and it certainly was, freeing slaves in the United States of America. Some of you may not know this, but it's finally a national holiday, but there's actually a profound event that took place two and a half years later called Juneteenth, standing for June nineteenth. As you can imagine, those who held slaves did not come out and start telling all their slaves, by the way, you're free. And so they had to go send... Teams of people, soldiers of people into towns all across America to tell them, now you have to let the slaves go. They're no longer slaves. And two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, they finally make it to Galveston, Texas. And they're wandering through the town saying, you're not a slave anymore. They, they showed up at the pubs and at the courthouse and at the churches and they're informing these people who have no idea that they're already Free. can you imagine you're working and mistreated as a slave and shows, someone shows up and says you don't know it but you're already free what Mark is saying in the opening verses of this and he's saying it as a coward who fleed And he's speaking on behalf of his friend Peter, who denied Christ three times. And he's speaking to a people in desperate need. And he's saying, Friends, you don't know it yet, but you're already free. Let's pray. Jesus, if we could believe that. You're not calling us to clean up little bits of our lives. You're calling us to wholesale turn our lives over to You. You're not calling us to get cleaned up before we come. That we're going to keep making big mistakes even as we follow. You're calling us to believe that we're free in Christ. Teach us to act like Him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen that we're going to keep making big mistakes even as we follow. You're calling us to believe that we're free in Christ. Teach us to act like Him. It. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.